Hello and welcome to this week's BWB Extra, where we continue our conversation with William Wadsworth, founder of Exam Study Expert. We dive deeper into discussing the science of learning and talk about the different types of learning techniques, which ones William prefers to teach, and discuss the differences in people's learning capabilities and how to best approach them. We also hear about William's client experiences and his plans to grow and scale the business. So is there an element of the better you're taught or the better your teacher, the more likely you are to respond positively to the techniques that you're sharing? Is that basically how it works? There's there's kind of the underlying science of how we learn, (laughs) the way I think about it. There's there's this sort of underlying science of of how we learn. And then we can apply that both to teaching. So if you're a teacher, how you apply the science of learning in the classroom to help your students learn in the classroom. And then there's also how you apply it as an independent learner to your kind of own private study. Both of those aspects are interesting to teachers because obviously you're teaching yourself and you're also advising your students on how they approach their own learning. If you're a student, then obviously you're just interested in the how I learn independently. So is there a fundamental thing that most people are doing wrong when they start out? I mean, is there is there something everybody should know about how to learn? There's quite a bit to it, but like 80-20... Yeah, right, but like 80-20 application. If there was one thing I'd want anyone to know about how to learn effectively and get knowledge to stick in memory, it would be retrieval practice. Can you explain what retrieval practice is? Of course. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I wouldn't be very good at my job if I couldn't. (laughs) Um, Retrieval practice means testing yourself and what you know. So most people think that to learn, sort of instinctively think that to learn, you need to push knowledge into memory somehow. You need to read it over and over again or listen to it over and over again and, and sort of push the knowledge in. Actually, what you need to do is pull the knowledge out. So don't push it in and read it over again, listen to it over again, but but test yourself. Try and remember it. That is the bit that builds the knowledge and gets it to stick. Um, so anytime you're, that's why flashcards work, for example. That's why, you know, as, as professionals, you know, you might get told if you meet someone at a networking event, you know, repeat their name back to them later, later on in the conversation. That's a form of retrieval practice. You're trying to remember their name. This is all becoming clear now because I'm, I'm not very good at, learning stuff and or spending time learning stuff and when I was doing my law exams what I actually learned in the panicked night before my law exams was did you say night or nights <laughs> just the one just the one uh, was to his coy mistress you're, by Andrew Marvell you're undermining the credibility of the profession here, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> sorry no but I I got I'm very good at distracting myself and I learned to his coy mistress by Andrew Marvell when I was doing my uh, it was owed to the Nightingale when I was doing my A-levels and to his coy mistress when I was doing my um, law exams. And when you learn a poem, you repeat it and repeat it to yourself. You regurgitate it rather than reading it over and over again. So it's yeah. the same thing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I know nothing about law, clearly. <laughs> <laughs> <But> never mind. <laughs> but I know the poem. I can still do the poems. But but is that William? Is that what you call rote learning? Yeah. So so rote learning is really just regurgitating stuff. Rote learning is a bit of a fluffy term. I I'm, I, I guess it means I'm, I'm gathering by the look on your face. You don't like it as a term. Well, it's often used a bit derogatorily. Okay. I, I I I find in the kind of world of of school, you know, kind of just yeah, because the idea is and, that yeah. you're not making sense of what you've been told. You're just memorising it and repeating it. I think so. Where does retrieval or the retrieval method that you're talking about, where does, how does that differentiate itself or how do you differentiate it from just regurgitating stuff? 
I think, you know, if you showed me, I think a good example, like if you showed me a poem in, in Spanish, I could learn the syllables and if, particularly if it was spelt out phonetically, I could learn how to regurgitate that by rote, but I wouldn't know what it meant. Mm. <laughs> so I want you to practice retrieval. I want you to practice testing yourself, pulling that knowledge out of memory, whether you use practice, flashcards, uh, doing practice papers, like there's lots of different ways to do it. There's lots of different techniques to do retrieval practice with. But, uh, you know, it's up to you which one you choose. Just on that, William, is that because people learn differently? So, like, I remember when I was at school, we didn't have flashcards, so that just kind really? of... No, we didn't have them. I mean, I think flashcards have been around as long as paper, so I'm just... You could have had flashcards if you wanted them. We might have had them, but I just didn't. wasn't interested. <laughs> Fancy but, modern tools. But, yeah. but, but, you know, I could... If I drew stuff, I learned it. I'm, I'm, so... And people would say to me, oh, you're a visual learner. But is there such a thing that people do learn differently? I love this question um, because one of the biggest myths that psychologists are still fighting against is this idea that some people are visual learners, some people are auditory, some people are kinesthetic. So the idea is um, if you're a visual learner, you need to see things. If you're an auditory learner, you need to hear things. If you're kinesthetic, you need to, I don't know, like act things out or do models or okay, something. Okay, that's going to get difficult in the exam. <laughs> <laughs> it's a really compelling idea, right? Like it makes a lot of sense and people go, people love the idea that you can kind of, you know, figure out your learning personality and your learning style and that's the thing for you. But a generation of psychologists has looked for evidence that this is a thing and it does actually help learning and, and come up with a blank. A blank, okay, okay. Is that because it doesn't exist or just because you guys can't find it? No, like lots of very bright people have, have done perfectly sensible experiments. Uh, a firm conclusion is... It doesn't help learning. So we're not, we're not that different. We don't learn differently in the way that we perhaps have been told we should learn. So what's certainly true is different people have preferences. But if anything, there might be an argument that leaning into something that's not your preference might actually make you a more rounded... You know, so actually a really interesting example there is, is dyslexia. So, you know, dyslexic, you know, often come to me and say, you know, well, I, I've got dyslexia, I don't really sort of do words and I need to kind of find a way around that. And there may be an argument for that, but there's also an argument that actually leaning into your area of difficulty, area of your, challenge, your area of challenge, and kind of confronting that, you'll have to work harder at it than other people, for sure. And there may be certain tools you can use to help, like printing out your stuff in dyslexia, like dyslexic-friendly fonts, stuff like that, to make it a bit more accessible. But, you know, one of the really interesting things is, in, in, in my world, entrepreneurship, there's an awful lot of dyslexic entrepreneurs. And, uh, you know, we've looked into this, and try to figure out why. And there's a few potential reasons, but one of the uh, sort of more, com more compelling hypotheses is that fact that as a dyslexic growing up, you need to develop resilience to kind of overcome that. You're expected so you're to read. So you're sort of overcompensating for you, the fact Yeah, that. like this skill that everyone around you can do like quite easily and picks up, relatively speaking, faster. You have to work really hard at it and you have to plug away at it. And that, yeah, that builds character. Um, and that's exactly the sort of trait that you might want later in life to become that kind of resilient, you know, go get them entrepreneurs. A slightly off-piece question, but related. But if I think back to when I was at school, dyslexia was not really spoken about, but now it's all, we hear about it a lot. What's happened? Like, have we, have psychologists and other kind of professionals just learned to identify and diagnose it? 
better or is did it just not exist in kind of you know, yeah, in, yeah. in in the in the seventies? Taking a slightly cynical view, one of the big things that happened was exam boards started offering you extra time in your exam if you had a dyslexic diagnosis certificate. So that was the catalyst. <laughs> so taking a pretty cynical view, you know, there's now quite a strong incentive if you're a academically switched on family to make sure that if there's a chance you might have dyslexia, you you know, go away and get your diagnosis so that you have the extra time. Uh, and, and, you know, it's, it's, I think that's that's certainly been a driving factor. I think yeah. genuinely used to be quite envious of people <laughs> well, that who could got write extra fast. time. No, but, you know, there were always people in your class at school who could write really fast and read really fast. And like my best friend who lived in Taplow, um, when I was at school, if we were reading a book, she would finish it in half the time that I would. She's just such a fast reader. But then you'd afterwards you'd go, didn't you love the scene where such and such happened? She'd go, oh, say, I don't remember that. Yeah, but that that's, yeah. I was just going to say, but she might have read quickly, but what was her ability to recall, which clearly was not very good. <laughs> so she must have done one of those speed reading courses where you have to you know, run your finger on the I don't understand that if you're reading like, okay, I'm this, but if you're reading Dorothy Alsayers, which is basically what I spent my teenage years reading, they're amazing books that are really dense and entertaining and you want to enjoy every minute of them why would you flick through them really fast and just to get but, through them but to me that's back, almost back to william's point like you can learn a poem in spanish you can read you can make the sounds you don't understand it but you can also read a book in english and not understand it because you're just determined to get to the end of it so or it's humphrey clinker by Tobias <laughs> smollett one or the other um so when you're when you're teaching these things to people what is it you're you're giving them the mechanisms to be able to learn themselves? Does it go as far as things like, you know, memory palaces and stuff like that? Or is that sort of outside the yeah. box? Um, What's a memory palace? <laughs> I've got this vision of that glass house in Kew Gardens. You know that thing they say where, you know, if you're trying to remember a whole list of things or you're trying to remember all the cards in a deck of cards or whatever, you walk through somewhere that you've created in your brain and you attribute different things in a list to different things in the house that you're walking Clearly through. they taught things very differently in Australia. This is entirely new to me. No, it's not something me. that they taught at school. It's just something that is interesting. There's a great podcast called The Memory Palace. Any any Sherlock fans in the in the yeah. in the house? Yeah, yeah that's, it's really interesting. So, for sure, like the the broader question, there's there's definitely more to what I talk about than just routine practice. You know, I'll I'll kind of talk about your you know study habits and good routines, productivity, you know, mindset, exam nerves, all that all that kind of thing. So I take quite a holistic approach. Like in terms of the 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 kind of world of mnemonics and and and, and sort of memory tricks like like memory palaces, it can be quite tricky because these kind of techniques have evolved out of the world of memory world championships. So people that train themselves to compete yeah. in memory championships. Like if you're not familiar with the concept of what this a memory championship like is. such an insane thing. Right. Like it's things like, okay, how many decks of cards can you memorize in an hour? And like the world record is like hundreds of decks of cards in an hour. Or like what's the longest string of digits you can... Re- like there's all these different games and there's different world champions and these different disciplines and like insane, ge- genuinely insane memory feats. Don't get me wrong. There's two issues when you come to apply that to the world of academia. <laughs> the first is these are almost like professional athletes yeah. for memory rather than sport. Yeah. Um, and, and they train intensively and spend a lot of time getting very familiar with these techniques. 
some of them are like take quite a bit of practice to get used to um and you know you need to spend quite a bit of time training to 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 get the most out of them that's one problem and the other is that they are designed for quite specific kinds of information so long strings of numbers long strings of different cards sort of quite abstract information but also information that has a certain sort of structure to it it's numbers over and over again or it's certain cards over and over again um and when it comes to sort of academic learning like, there are perhaps certain little corners of your course that might have that information in that kind of structure, but it's you know it requires some skill to kind of figure out well okay which little mnemonic trick works best. Yeah, I mean for it's this fine type if of there's information, you know yeah? five five a list of five different yeah. types of I don't know murder, I don't yeah. know, whatever, and <laughs> you you remember them with a mnemonic. But yeah. how often is that the case, and how useful is it? I suppose. Yeah. So, I mean, there's a couple of sort of mnemonic tricks I'll, I'll teach, but they're, they're, they're easy to use and they are quite, you know, they're, they're pretty widely useful across lots of different kinds of information. And now a quick word from our sponsor. Clark got its start back in 1935 And while the world has changed a bit It's more than just survived From complying with the FCA And all things financy They can also speak fluently In the language of legalese Ori Clark was born and raised Right here in the UK And now for 20 years They've been helping others Get set up and on their way Ori Clark's door's always open and happy to provide straight talking financial and legal advice since 1935. Big shout out to Sean Veer Singh for a stellar jingle. You can find him at Sean Veer Singh Music on Instagram. And at this point, let me quickly remind you to give us a nice review, please, on Apple Podcast or follow us on Spotify so you'll never miss an episode. Now back to the chat. So interesting, William, you, you've said a couple of things. And I've just suddenly thought, I was always really envious of people that, that we were told had photographic memories. And I think from what you're saying, there clearly are not people that have photographic memories. They just have a better methodology of learning stuff? Maybe. Um, I think there are certain uh, sort of outlier conditions. Like there's this this, uh, there's this sort of medical case of, it must be someone like Oliver Sacks that wrote this up. It's, um, I can't quite remember, but... Uh, His he, book is great. Oh, it's it's really many book. excellent books, yeah, yeah. yeah. It was, was always a little bit of like bedtime reading and exam term at bedtime oh, for yeah. me. Um, but uh, yeah, you know, like stories of people that, you know, the woman who literally never forgot a single thing that she was exposed to in her entire life. And Isn't there like a TV show that's based on that premise? I don't know, possibly. I can't remember what it was called. <laughs> it's quite interesting. Like you might think, oh, well, that's wonderful. I never forget things. But actually it's sort of crippling, you know, like forgetting all the minutiae of day-to-day life is an extremely healthy and adaptive thing. And you also probably want to forget those excruciatingly embarrassing things that you don't want to remember, which could assail you at any time. (laughs) Oh, God, I did that terrible thing. But, I mean, you do, most people, I'm assuming, I'm only assuming this because I do it, but I'm assuming most people sort of, for example, if you've read something, you can normally remember where it is on a page. Do you yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. Like you think, oh, I read that somewhere. And you normally know whether it was on the right or left page and you can flick back through a book. This is why Kindle, I find Kindle really difficult because I can't remember yes. where it is in the book. But most people have some element then of kind of photographic memory or visual memory. 
Yeah, for sure. I mean, there's, there's. Um, I, sorry, I don't, I don't, I don't kind of often teach this because it tends to be. It's quite easy to uh, get a bit carried away with it and not, not uh, get very good value for your time on it. Yeah. But there's, there's ideas like dual coding in, in learning psychology, and dual coding just means that, like, when you have a sort of simple graphic plus a description, simple description in words, that combination of the image and the words, that duality, like will help you learn it and will help facilitate learning. And in terms of who you help, do you get a, do you find that most of them are kind of about to do their A-levels or about to, you know, do their finals? Or is it a whole range of kind of people? It's a pretty big range. Um, so the, the the kind of speaking stuff I do, that's schools, so GCSE, A-level. So I do, I do one-on-one coaching as well. Uh, as, and I've got a blog and a podcast for the, the latter bits, the audience for the blog and the podcast and, and, and clients for the coaching. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a huge range. So school age, certainly, but definitely university and then a lot beyond as well. And, and William, is it just you? Have you have you found a way of scaling the business, or is this just something that sits entirely on your shoulders? Yeah, it's a good, very good question. There's a different answer for the different bits of the business. So, I have not yet uh, done anything to scale the uh, the kind of service areas of the business, so the speaking and the coaching for the uh, the blog and the podcast. By their nature, there's an inbuilt idea of scale, I think, even if you are a one-man band, you can reach 100 people as easily as a million people with a blog article. You write the same article, it's, you know, so there is a, there is a sort of inbuilt scalability with, with those parts of the business. I've worked with a blog editor, she's been sort of more or less full, sort of three or four days a week for the past sort of year or two now, and, uh, you know, does, does a huge amount to, to keep the blog going and growing, and I'm looking to do the same thing uh, with the podcast as well in the near future, so getting in some help to basically mm. maximise the, the impacts I can have. And this is a fairly facetious question, but do you ever have a scenario where you you kind of have a client and you're kind of like, yeah, no, I can't teach you? Yeah, for sure. You're just useless, don't do the exam. I wouldn't I mean, say that. probably not put it like that. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't say they're useless, but I've been doing this game a while and, I'm, you know, I'm sure, you know, as you, did, as, as, you, know, you, you deliver professional services, perhaps you have the same thing with, with sort of certain clients that approach you and you just get the certain red flags that, I oh my gosh, you. you know, yeah. this is going to be a, a, an absolute you know, nightmare and yeah. you're not going to be Helping very happy. Helping you is more trouble than I can bear. I, I can just see the report cards could try harder. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm, I'm fortunate now that I can be a bit picky about what I what I take on, and and so there might be certain edge cases where I think actually, you know, do you get a feel quite quickly with people? Sometimes, that, yeah. I love parents. I'm a new parent myself. How are you? Um, Congratulations. And, and thank you. And uh, but I mean, there's there's a there's a certain thing that takes a, a very specific kind of parent when exams are all round and and can make it uh, quite difficult to be in the family and, and, and for anyone trying to work with the family and support sometimes. I, I remember my mother, this is obviously 20, whatever, 30 years ago, standing outside my sister's door when we were doing A-levels. Neither my sister or I like working, basically. My solution during A-levels was to read my novel inside a file. Okay. And so it looked like I was revising. And so you would hope to pick up the peripheral words. Fuck that, file. I just wanted to read my novel. <laughs> my sister's solution was to go to bed earlier and earlier every night. And I remember my mum standing outside her door going, get up, you guys, it was like 7pm. Get up, you can't go to bed, you've got to revise. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so some parents are desperate, is all I'm saying. But also to give, you know, to, to give a bit of uh, empathy to, to parents, it can be a really difficult 
spot to be in when you're, you, you know, you've kind of, you know, you want the best for your kids, of course you do. And, and you know, you're, you're frustrated that then, you know, sort of throwing their opportunity away and all the rest of it. And I guess for you, you've got more than one client. Yeah, yeah. So you've got to handle multiple clients with multiple different end games, really. Yeah. And, and, and I mean, in terms of the one-on-one stuff, I tend to have a relatively short relationship with any given client. So typically most people will I'll see them three times or, or six times. Those are sort of my standard uh, standard programs at the moment. Yep. And, um, you know, unlike a kind of conventional tutor, which is a lot, uh, you will see you every week for the next three years or whatever. Yeah, and you know, sort of going through past exams. Yeah, it's a bit like, you know, you can sit with someone and help them catch their fish or, you know, you can teach them how to fish for themselves. And I, I try and do the latter. <laughs> So that was this week's episode of BWB Extra and we'll be back with a new episode next week. Until then, it's goodbye.